0: We can make a difference.
1: Hey! How is this city? Huh? I think I'll leave you two pals alone. I brought you a special present.
0: What is it?
1: Open it up. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books, and this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm gonna read it to you. Is it got any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles.
0: doesn't sound too bad. I'll try and stay
1: awake. Oh, well, thank you very much. Very nicely. Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. All right. The Prince's Bride. By S. Morgenstern, Chapter 1.
0: In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. job!
2: Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 60, wow, Uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So the Covid situation does not seem to be getting any better. Unlike Chums of the Pod, movie reviews in 20 Q's and you're in the Blessed Isle of New Zealand who seem to have complete control over this situation... Um, So the situation in the UK is getting worse (laughs) at the moment, so we have some new restrictions in. Um, So basically, what I need to say to you guys is continue to stay safe, keep your distance, wear a mask and wash those hands. Fezzik might not trust people wearing masks, but like Wesley says, everyone will be wearing them in the future. And it's very, very true. Before we start, uh, I want to thank everyone for the positive comments on "Death Becomes Her." As I said, that episode it wasn't meant to be episode fifty nine because it was originally scheduled in for November, but it was super fun to revisit and rewatch. And it really is one of those movies that just seems to get better with age, which is ironic uh, as the last thing Madeline or Helen wanted was aging. Um, and also, just to correct a mistake that I made, um, I claimed in that episode that Kate Hudson was an Oscar winner uh, and Andy from Geek Salad Radio got in touch and uh, reminded me that she is just in fact an Oscar nominee. Um, I probably just confused her with her mum Goldie Horn because she is an Oscar winner. So apologies for that mistake. Uh, like I said at the end of Death Becomes Her, I feel like 2020 needs The Princess Bride. It's just such a wonderful, whimsical and charming movie. But while many will see it as just a lovely fairy tale, there's a lot more depth and skill to The Princess Bride than you might think. So, without further ado, here's the trailer for The Princess Bride.
1: (coughs) I brought you a special present.
0: What is it?
1: A book? This is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you.
0: I'll try and stay awake.
1: Wesley had no money for marriage, so he packed his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. The law of the land gave Humperdin the right to choose his bride. The fabric will make the prince suspect that the Gilderians have abducted his love. You never say anything about killing anyone.
0: I just happen to look behind us and something
1: is there. He's obviously seen us with the princess and let's therefore die. Pick up one of those rocks. Get behind the boulder. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! I was not a sportsman, that.
0: I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder. I'm swapped. <laughs>
1: Jesus, Grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Fencing, fighting, chases, escapes, giants, monsters, torture. Revenge, True Love, Miracles. Look, I'm retired. I might kill whoever you want to meet the miracle. He's already dead. I'll take a look. Bring him in. Some knife fault being the biggest and the strongest.
2: A kindly grandfather sits down with his ill grandson and reads him a story. The story is one that has been passed down from father to son for generations. As the grandfather reads a classic tale of true love and adventure, as the beautiful Buttercup, who grew up on a farm, realises that every time the farm boy Wesley says, as you wish, it meant I love you, and she discovers she loves him back. Wesley leaves to earn his fortune, but is apparently killed by the evil dread pirate Roberts. Five years later, Buttercup is engaged to the odious Prince Humperdinck, whom she does not love, and is kidnapped by a hired band of thieves and held against her will in order to start a war. Following Buttercup's captors is a mysterious man in black, the dread pirate Roberts, who it turns out is Wesley in disguise, Wesley dispatches each captor in turn with his skill, strength and wits before Buttercup realises Wesley is the man in black. She agrees to return to Prince Humperdinck to save Wesley's life and the accomplished swordsman and super strong giant he bested become Wesley's companions in his quest to rescue Buttercup from becoming Humperdinck's bride. So the cast of this movie, I mean, do we really need to go through it? I don't think we do, but I'm going to. So we have Kerry Elwes as Wesley, Robin Wright as Buttercup, Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya, Chris Sarandon as Prince Humperdinck, Christopher Guest as Count Tyrone Rugen, Wallace Shawn as Vicini, Andre the Giant as Fezzik, Billy Crystal as Miracle Max, Carol Kane as Valerie, Peter Cook as The Impressive Clergyman, Mel Smith as the albino Peter Falk as the grandfather or the narrator and Fred Savage as the grandson so it's basically a who's who of casts literally everyone knows all these people it's an amazing cast for this movie the screenplay was by William Goldman and it was based on the novel The Princess Bride also by William Goldman and the movie was directed by Rob Reiner alright The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. Chapter 1. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florin. Her favourite pastimes were riding her horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? Florin native S. Morgenstern was the fictional writer of The Princess Bride in the abridged version of his original text adapted by actual writer William Goldman. It's framed as a fictional story within a fictional story of how Goldman came to know S. Morgenstern and how Goldman's fictional father used to read Morgenstern's original fictional novel to him as a child and Goldman wanting to be able to read the fictional story to his own fictional son. Because Morgenstern's original fictional novel is too political in nature, Goldman decides to adapt it, leaving in only the good parts, resembling the original version his fictional father had fictionally read to him in his fictional childhood. So if you get that, then well done! (laughs) So the narrator of the story is a fictional William Goldman. A surrogate for the person actually reading the story. Everything about Goldman in The Princess Bride's commentary and introduction is fictional, such as he talks about his wife Helen and his young son. In reality, William Goldman and his wife Eileen had two daughters, Jenny and Susanna, and it was his young daughters who inspired the title of The Princess Bride. Goldman had asked his daughters, then aged seven and four, what they wanted him to write about. One said a princess and the other a bride thus became the title of The Princess Bride, but the story wasn't so easy to come together. Goldman originally wrote 20 pages on Buttercup, The Bride. He then moved on to write about her groom, but ran completely dry. It was this moment of writer's block which gave him the idea of adapting a fictional novel under the guise of abridgment. When that idea came to him, the floodgates opened and he started with the fictional Bill Goldman. That emotional connection and the satisfaction that came from The Princess Bride remained with him. The novel was released in 1973 and Goldman even made a start on a screenplay with 20th Century Fox paying him $500,000 for the film rights that very same year. It's worth noting that Goldman would buy those rights back shortly afterwards with his own money. William Goldman, at the time and since then, was no stranger to screenplays, having written the screenplays for the likes of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, both of which would garner him Academy Award wins for screenwriting, as well as adapting his own novels, Marathon Man, Magic and Heat, for the screen, all before The Princess Bride would be adapted. Post The Princess Bride, he worked on Misery, Chaplin, Maverick, he consulted on A Few Good Men, Malice, Extreme Measures and Goodwill Hunting, and he did uncredited work on Twins, Indecent Proposal, Last Action Hero, and Fierce Creatures, to name but a few. Rob Reiner was given a copy of The Princess Bride by his father, Carl Reiner, as a child, and had a desire to make it into a movie after This Is Spinal Tab became a huge success in 1984. This desire wasn't shared at all, and despite his next movie, Stand By Me, also being a huge success, Executives at Paramount weren't impressed at his willingness to adapt The Princess Bride. In fact, they wanted him to make anything but The Princess Bride because the movie was deemed to be impossible to make. Many had tried, including Francois Truffaut, Richard Lester, Robert Redford and Norman Jewison, and all had failed. Even Superman himself, Christopher Reeve, showed interest in playing Wesley at one point and Arnold Schwarzenegger had been touted to play Fezzik obviously before he was massive movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was TV producer Norman Lear who stepped in, actually, to finance The Princess Bride, as he knew Rob Reiner from their time working together on All in the Family, and had previously funded This Is Spinal Tap. With Lear's financing in place, and appreciating Reiner's track record thus far, 20th Century Fox finally agreed to distribute The Princess Bride, with Norman Lear's Act 3 Communications as production company, alongside Buttercup Films Ltd and The Princess Bride Limited, Rob Reiner met with William Goldman at the writer's apartment in New York City, along with producer Andrew Scheinman, to discuss the film adaptation, which was an incredibly positive experience for everyone involved, and Reiner and Goldman would continue to work harmoniously together to create the screenplay. The cast for The Princess Bride remains the most perfect cast ever cast, but casting director Jane Jenkins still had a task on her hands to get the right people. Carrie Elwes was Rob Reiner's first choice for Wesley after seeing him in Lady Jane, but Elwes was in Germany working at the time. So Reiner flew out to Berlin to meet him, and he had read The Princess Bride as a child, and he'd associated with Wesley a lot. He was delighted to be considered, and while Reiner and Jenkins did audition other actors for Wesley, none came close to the ideal that... Kerry Elwes who had this kind of Errol Flynn or Douglas Fairbanks Robin Hood quality to him which is kind of ironic really as Elwes would go on to spoof Robin Hood in Mel Brooks Robin Hood Men in Tights um, but to be honest more spoof Kevin Costner whose American accent still gets a really bad rap um, I love the movie by the way <laughs> Robin Hood Prince of the Thieves but those accents are bad Uh, I am a massive fan of Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, Carrie Elwes is still one of the most beautiful men to ever exist and, like a fine wine, only seems to get better with age. Robin Wright, who was then working on soap opera Santa Barbara at the time, was encouraged to audition by her agent despite them originally looking for English actors for the role of Buttercup when they widened the search the likes of Courtney Cox, Meg Ryan, Uma Thurman Sean Young and Susie Amis were all considered as well as the late Carrie Fisher. Robin Wright was invited round William Goldman's house they opened the door to her her golden hair tumbling down her sides in this angelic white dress and she was bathed in sunlight and that was exactly how Goldman had envisioned Buttercup Additionally, years of watching British TV shows with her father meant that Wright could do the English accent necessary. As she was working on Santa Barbara at the time, she received a period of leave from the show to film The Princess Bride in the UK. Coincidentally, also still one of the most beautiful women to ever exist and also only gets better with age. Reportedly, Robin and Carrie were smitten with each other during the production and it's easy to see why. Wallace Shawn cracked everyone up when he read for Vizzini and Shawn really is a man of dizzying intellect too, like Vizzini. He is a Harvard history graduate. He also studied philosophy and economics at Oxford. During filming of The Princess Bride, he actually gave a guest lecture at Oxford University. Wallace Shawn found out from his agent that Danny DeVito was the first choice for Visini, and obviously. Everyone's a massive fan of Danny DeVito, but this actually racked him with insecurities over his performance. Uh, That's why he's profusely sweating during the poison scene, because he was so worried he was giving a terrible performance. Wallace Shawn, obviously, would go on to one of my other favourite roles, that of Mr Hall in Clueless. That's episode 37, by the way. Uh, So Inigo Montoya spoke to Mandy Patinkin on a very personal level, after he himself lost his father to pancreatic cancer in 1972. Patinkin channelled his grief and loss into his performance as Inigo. When he says, My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You know that he means it. He found the process incredibly difficult at the time to relive those memories, but ultimately he considers it a healing time. He actually still has both of Domingo Montoya's handcrafted swords from the movie and he's gifted them to his own sons. Uh, both of those swords now have actual proper blades rather than the movie, the light movie blades, which were made of aluminium. But on a recent online chat with one of his sons, he got emotional, reminiscent about the sword fight with Kerry Elwes, describing it as one of the great moments of his life and just how devastated he was when Rob Reiner called cut, print, as that meant that they would never be able to do that scene again. And I'm going to talk more about that sword fight in a little bit, because it's the greatest, I love it, uh, <laughs> as I said, uh, originally a pre-fame Arnold Schwarzenegger was kind of seen as the ideal Fezzik, but obviously he had become a big movie star in the intervening years, and so Jenkins needed to find a giant, so they originally looked into 7ft4 Andre the Giant Rusimov first, but his wrestling schedule meant that he couldn't commit to the movie. They auditioned other tall actors, including former basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Ferrigno and Carol Stroykin. But in a Miracle Max turn of events, Andre the Giant's wrestling match in Japan had been cancelled, leaving him clear to take the part. Andre himself, who passed away in 1993, was originally worried the rest of the cast would treat him differently due to his immense size, but he needn't be. Uh, He was reportedly so proud of The Princess Bride and... Everyone who worked on it and the cast, he would carry a copy of it wherever he went and he watched it repeatedly. Uh, Andre, who was a Frenchman, he spoke little English, would learn his lines phonetically from a tape recording to perfect them and additionally, due to back surgery in 1986, he was often in incredible pain during filming. Needless to say, many see Fezzik as the heart of this movie and it's hard to disagree when you know what Andre the Giant had to go through to make it work. Andre was reportedly the sweetest man on set, often keeping Robin Wright warm during cold outdoor shoots and offering her her coat. It's genuinely quite sad that he hasn't lived to see what The Princess Bride has become, how beloved Fezzik is, because he really, really is. It's also hard to believe that this was pre-The Wonder Years for Fred Savage, who stars alongside Peter Falk, Columbo himself, in the real world, in inverted commas, part of the movie, as the sick grandson. There was no interaction between Savage and Falk and the rest of the cast, as the rest of the movie had been completed at the stage when they were filming. A scene with the grandson looking out of the window to see Wesley, Buttercup, Inigo, and Fezzik on the white horses was scrapped, just to kind of root it more in realism. The scenes with the grandfather and grandson were shot at Shepperton Studios in Surrey, Fred Savage would actually go on to reprise his role, sort of, for a PG-13 release of Deadpool 2 called Once Upon a Deadpool, where Deadpool takes the place of the grandfather, reading the story of Deadpool 2 without all the naughty bits, to adult Fred Savage in a replica bedroom to that of the Princess Bride. The film was shot pretty much entirely in the UK and Ireland. Other areas used for shooting included On Location at Carl Walk, Sheffield, Lathkith Dale... Calesdale and Cavedale in the Peak District, Burnham Beaches in Buckinghamshire, Bradley Rocks and Robin Hood's Stride in Birchover, the Cliffs of Moher in County Clare and Penshurst Place in Kent. There are so many wonderful, iconic scenes in this movie, and too many to go through in great detail, so I wanted to highlight some of the greatest, and I think you know what's coming, Uh, (laughs) because I'm a big fan of fight scenes and fight choreography, I've mentioned this many times before on this podcast because, to me, it's, it's almost like a dance. Um, and fighting, choreographed fighting, as in stage fighting or screen fighting, is powerful and passionate in its own right. But in researching this movie in particular, I came across a YouTuber called Jill Bearup who reviews movies from a stage combat point of view and posts commentary on fight scenes and kind of goes into what filmmakers do to make fight scenes appealing and cinematic. Her video on the fight scene between Inego and the man in black is so interesting and highlights what is so fantastic about that scene, how it develops the characters of both Inego and Wesley as the man in black, their sportsmanship and bonding... And the sword fighting moves that they go through, she actually notes it's a total of 230 moves. Um, She talks about how audiences don't want to see realistic sword fights because they would be over a lot quicker. I'll put a link to her video in the show notes because I genuinely recommend watching it. It's an absolutely wonderful video and she is incredibly passionate. She's really in depth with what she talks about. She clearly knows what she's talking about and she describes the scene in a much more professional way than I ever could. But the fight scene between Wesley and Iniego is one of the truly great moments in this movie for me for so many reasons. And not just because Mandy Patinkin clearly adored it. Um, and it's mainly because Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin trained for six months. Um, they performed their own fight choreography. There is a stunt person in the scene uh, who does the somersaults, but otherwise, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin learned to fence both left and right-handed, as famously both Wesley and Iniego are ambidextrous swordsmen. They were trained by legendary fencing instructors Bob Anderson and stunt coordinator Peter Diamond. Bob Anderson was a competitive fencer and Olympian who choreographed other movies like The Mask of Zorro, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, and he was the additional sword trainer on the Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which I also love, and also has a fantastic sword fight. There's also, if you do go to Jill Bearup's YouTube channel, she also has a very excellent video on the sword fighting Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Um, so I'd highly recommend that as well. And obviously, just not <laughs> to just recommend other people, but also say that obviously, shot and I talked about parts of *The Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl* on episode 10 of this podcast as well. Uh, so, Bob Anderson was also the stunt double for Darth Vader in three Star Wars movies, so the first three, but was uncredited for the 1977 original. Peter Diamond worked in British film and TV stunts for over 50 years and also worked on Star Wars, again, mostly uncredited. Carrie Elwes mentions in his 2014 book, As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, that these were the top guys in the industry. It was Anderson who suggested that they learn each other's part to ensure accidents would be limited. Apparently, Mandy Patinkin did end up injured in rehearsal, but only mostly injured. Uh, It truly is one of the greatest staged fights for that very reason. As much as someone like Tom Cruise brags about doing his own stunts, it's almost become synonymous with his kind of screen persona. To have Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin do their own stunts feels less insidious and showy. It's just two actors literally putting their all into a scene and they rehearsed they rehearsed separately they rehearsed together at lunchtime they really did put in the time and it's so wonderful if I'm being incredibly picky and I kind of feel like I shouldn't be but if you watch the movie and this is this is even more impressive because they are sword fighting going upstairs So you've got Mandy Patinkin going forwards, Carrie Elwes going backwards upstairs, and you can see Elwes takes a small misstep on the steps. To be perfectly honest, if that was me, I'd have fell flat on my face. And that just kind of goes to the skill of these men uh, because they just carry on. They ended up so good at sword fighting that the original choreographed scene was over too quickly, so they ended up making up more. The fight up the steps, originally, wasn't translating well to camera. So Patinkin and Elwes re-choreographed it from scratch to make it look better. That's how dedicated these men were and that's why this scene is one of the most awesome scenes that you will ever see, and one of the greatest sword-fighting scenes. And there have been lots, there have been a lot, I'm not going to lie, but I love this for its simplicity, and for its skill, and for its dedication, and for the fact that it's clearly the actors doing it. And I and I guess, insurance-wise, you don't really want your actors to play around with swords, but they were so good. Uh, it's just... It just makes me smile. Like, I'm smiling right now just thinking about it. It's just so wonderful. Carrie Elwes, uh, he would also insist on diving into the sand in the fire swamp, even though the script called for a foot-first jump, because he didn't think Wesley would jump in foot-first to save his beloved. His jump into the sand was completely blind, and had he misjudged it, he probably would have hit his head and be seriously injured. So, (laughs) so, and that is incredible too. So many incredible stories from this movie, and... And to be perfectly honest with you, this episode has taken a lot longer to produce than normal. And that's mainly because there are so many bits of information out there. There's so many anecdotes. There's so much that I simply have not had time to put in. Uh, But a movie like The Princess Bride, the episode could easily go longer than The Princess Bride itself, I guarantee. Uh, But I've had to kind of cut it down, which is a bit sad. But uh, moving on, so Billy Crystal and Carol Kane... They started work at 2am for their three days on set to get into makeup as Miracle Max and Valerie. It was Crystal's ad-libs that had Rob Reiner literally walking away from shooting because he couldn't stop laughing at Crystal's unscripted comments. Both Crystal and Kay had worked together to build a backstory for Max and Valerie that they'd been married for 112 years and recall that it was just a joyous experience to be working on this film. Rob Reiner encouraged them to improvise, and so they did. Uh, And many of the best lines, such as the MLT line, were improvised on the spot. And I feel very much like The Princess Bride is the magnum opus of this podcast in so many ways. Because it encompasses everything I love about movies. Um, That joy and whimsy, and I feel like I say this a lot, which kind of is ironic, but that lightning-in-a-bottle experience of... They made this? Like, how? <laughs> because The Princess Bride would never likely get made like this today. The sets would be pristine. The cinematography would be beautiful, but clinical. It would look simultaneously more epic and less epic at the same time. Modern movie making would kill The Princess Bride. In itself, a parody of traditional storybooks. The amount of love that went into this movie literally bleeds through every scene. Everything about The Princess Bride is perfect to me. I know not to everyone, which I know is inconceivable, but sadly it's true. Uh, The humour, physical, verbal, repetitive is all executed perfectly. The movie also uses misdirection such as the poison scene where Wesley and Vasini are in a match of wits, which cup is poisoned with Iocane because it could be either, and then we realise both were poisoned, but Wesley has built an immunity to the Iocane, so it would never have killed him, and therefore he bests Vecini in a match of wits, after besting Fezzik at strength and Inego at skill. It's worth noting though, uh, he does end up killing Vecini accidentally, uh, but he doesn't kill Fezzik or Inego. That will benefit him a bit later on in the movie. This movie, I'd argue, is probably one of the most quoted of all time, and the reason is repetition. Most of the most memorable lines are repeated, such as, as you wish, inconceivable, (laughs) mawage. I love mawage. My name is Ineaga Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It also has an actual inconceivable legacy of not having a sequel or a prequel or a remake or a reboot. Um, And it's rare that you find one movie that's considered a classic example of being incredibly well-loved, well-made, and well-told, that it hasn't had its cultural touchstone marred with any other entries into the world it lives in. And I'll go into sequels and remakes in a bit, because trust me, it's not like people haven't tried. The fact they haven't succeeded, because of the goodwill levied at the original seems to suggest that it might, just might, be one of the few original movies that may never be remade. And I say that with the biggest pinch of salt I can find. Because if Hollywood can remake something, they probably will. Right, (laughs) so I'm going to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. Now, this is something that I like to do. uh, And I like to try and get a reference to the one and only Mr. Keanu Reeves into every episode. And I try to do that by linking him to the movie that I'm talking about. And this one was so hard. I mean, really, really, really hard. The best reference that I could find, and it's really bad, is there was a special edition triple-pack DVD which was released in 2014 to celebrate 90 years of MGM, which contained The Princess Bride, alongside Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and rather off-beatedly, I don't even know if that's a word, but it is, I've made it up, Spaceballs. So anyway... That DVD links Keanu to The Princess Bride, but I will add that if Keanu wants me to be his Princess Bride, I am literally ready and waiting for our marriage. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what it is about marriage. It always makes me laugh. The music for The Princess Bride um, was by singer-songwriter Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. He composed the soundtrack, which included the song Storybook Love, which was written and performed by Willie DeVille, That song received an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song and that was the only uh, Academy Award nomination that The Princess Bride received but that would lose out to I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing which, I'll be perfectly honest, is a much better song. Uh, (laughs) When it came to marketing this movie, um, so obviously this was a story about a farm boy turned pirate with a scheming prince, magic, miracles, fire swamps, rodents of unusual size, shrieking eels, sword fights and true love. And that really stumped the studio when it came to advertising it. It was a comedy, it was also an adventure swashbuckler, it was also technically a kids film, it was a fairy tale and it was also suitable for and partially aimed at adults. Uh, And 20th Century Fox admittedly struggled with the marketing. This was despite it being critically acclaimed on release. Again, it's not the first time 20th Century Fox on this podcast has had problems. But uh, Stardust also had similar issues. um, Because Stardust was so many different things. Uh, It was marketed as a romance. It was a fairy tale. It contained magic. It's very similar to The Princess Bride in many ways. But again, they really struggled in marketing Stardust, and exactly the same thing happened with The Princess Bride. Basically, 20th Century Fox did not seem to be able to understand the stuff that they had uh in their repertoire. So on its release on the 25th of September 1987, uh it was actually released only to 9 cinemas in the US. So it opened at number 16 in the US box office. Uh, On its third week, it actually climbed up to number 3 because it opened wide. uh, And it ended up grossing $30.8 million on a $16 million budget. Making it a very modest success, but essentially kind of breaking even for the studio, more or less. It wouldn't be till it was released on VHS. uh, As what tends to happen with a lot of these movies, especially 80s movies that the princess bride started to find its audience and boy did it find its audience uh because it's now seen as it's now seen as a cult classic and a beloved family film uh sadly and I don't know why um it's not available on streaming services in the UK at the moment but it is available on Disney Plus in the US why it's not on UK Disney Plus I have no idea but Disney need to book up their ideas uh, thankfully i have it on dvd i've just actually lent that dvd to my sister so that my nephew can watch it for the first time and i'm pretty certain he will love it um, but we will see we'll see what he thinks because uh, he's four obviously as listeners will know he's a big fan of toy story uh, but we will see what he thinks about the princess bride obviously i'm not going to judge a four-year-old if they don't like the princess bride but you know we've got time I'm sure he'll love it when he's older so a long promised sequel entitled Buttercup's Baby which involved Wesley and Buttercup's daughter Waverley was something William Goldman spoke of regularly he had tried multiple times for years to write it but nothing had materialised he managed a chapter which was included in later editions of The Princess Bride as a teaser but Goldman's death in 2018 means we will never be able to read his intended story a number of attempts have been made to turn it into a stage production, including Adam Gwetel in 2006 and Disney Theatre of Productions in 2013. It's also had a board game made called The Princess Bride, Storm in the Castle. A fan-made recreation during the COVID-19 pandemic produced by Jason Reitman was made to help raise money for World Essential Kitchen, with permission from Norman Lear, the estate of William Goldman and Mark Knopfler for the use of his music, It also features the final performance of Reiner's father, Carl Reiner, who stepped in as the grandfather in the final scene, playing to his own son, Rob. Carl Reiner passed away a few days later, and the film was dedicated to his memory. In a recent Variety article on the life and legacy of Norman Lear, Sony CEO Tony Vincicera told Variety that very famous people want to redo The Princess Bride. The news was met by overwhelmingly negative responses by not only the stars of the movie, but also critics, industry professionals and fans. The passion of this resistance basically said, this movie is perfect, do not touch it. Do not redo The Princess Bride. Um, As this episode is being recorded, a live reunion script reading of the cast, with some new additions, was remotely performed in support of the Wisconsin Democrats and when this episode airs, it will have happened last weekend. So Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, Carol Kane, Chris Sarandon, Manti Patinkin, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn and Billy Crystal all participated to an audience of over 100,000 people with director Rob Reiner and Patton Oswalt moderating a Q&A afterwards. It may be inconceivable, but The Princess Bride seems to be that one movie that will continue to live on, be adored and beloved, because everyone involved adores and loves it. It doesn't take itself very seriously as any sort of art, which actually makes it art. Which is something to ponder. Over to social media thoughts. So, one thing that I like to do every episode is I like to ask on social media, what do you think of this movie that I'm covering? And I'll be completely honest with you, I expected a lot of comments for The Princess Bride. I also expected overwhelmingly positive comments for the princess bride and no spoilers but there are there's at least one that's negative <laughs> and one that's uh middling but nevertheless we will soldier on and it's important to note as well that any artist subjective when I ask for comments often sometimes I I don't expect overwhelmingly positive comments and they seem to appear. It's very much dependent on who reads the post and who comments on the post. But, um, so we've got a lot to go through. So I will start with Twitter and I will start with Andy at Geek Salad Radio who said, Apart from being my wife's favourite movie, The Princess Bride is a rare gem that is action, comedy, romance and nostalgia all at the same time. Imminently quotable and I've always admired how the more famous cameos aren't screaming, look at me. At 90s Movies Pod said My 8th grade English teacher had us watch this and the boys all groaned at the title. This was way back when the flick was fairly new and not ubiquitous. By the end we were all plastered up close to the screen and the girls were asking us to move so they could see. At Movies Work said A classic on all fronts. Delivers a charm and feels unseen since its release. At Time Shifters Pod said This is a timeless as well as the rare perfect movie. There is no one that can't find enjoyment from this film. Romance, swordplay, humour and a cast that simply cannot be matched. Remake has been whispered, but I think even the studio knows they can't do better than this. At OSW Podcast One said, This movie is magical, but nothing makes me laugh as much as the To the Pain monologue. Dear God, what is that thing? (laughs) (laughs) at blc agnew said the perfect romantic comedy the perfect swashbuckler and the perfect fairy tale satire all in one movie it shouldn't be possible and yet arguably rob Reiner's crowning achievement in a, a real accomplishment given his 80s portfolio and the ultimate intergenerational family film at please watch pod said After several viewings and reading the novel and the As You Wish book, I came to the realisation that this is a perfect film. Somehow makes you care about true love and Wesley's fate while simultaneously parodying its own genre conventions. At Pretendium said, It's the ultimate example of charm carrying a film. It looks cheap, it has plot holes, and its title character is a totally passive presence, and who cares? It's still as much fun as you'll ever have watching a movie. At Emily underscore IDYP said, I think I have seen this movie enough times throughout my childhood and adult life to be able to quote the whole thing from memory. I don't have any specific memories when so watching it for the first time, but I know it always brings me comfort. At Oral underscore MFC said, Aside from Iniego, because everyone loves a revenge story, my favourites are Miracle Max and his wife, a fantastically funny scene to break the tension of Wesley's death, and I love a Carol Kane cameo in anything. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Shame it's no longer funny to ask people why they wear a mask, even with Fezzik's accent. But Wesley was right. Everyone will be wearing them in the future, and some are terribly comfortable. At Bub and Gob's Show said, This is one of our all-time favourites. Billy Crystal cracks me up in this movie. She's not a witch, she's my wife. (laughs) Still makes me laugh. Uh, At Troyful Power said, This was my dad's standard pick, Mom isn't here tonight, let's get pizza and watch a movie night. We would all sit around quoting every line of the movie and throwing popcorn at the screen. Years later, my first date with my wife was to see it at a park showing. It's one of my favourite films. It's full of heart and humour and manages to hold up still. I adore it and I always will. Ooh, bonus thought. My dad bought me the book when I was a kid and I totally thought it was real. I even got excited about the sequel Buttercup's Baby and I asked him to order that too. I think it was really hard for him to break it to me that it didn't exist. At Bumps Pod said, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That's the line I used to use on my student papers on a very regular basis. At the Peter Briggs said, You're going to hate me. Despite some quotes and a handful of nice bits, I don't much like this film. And I have to say, Peter, if you are listening, how could I possibly hate the writer of Hellboy? It's not possible. At, at the Pod said, Watched this in the cinema and two families in there walked out. One of them muttered quite loudly, I thought this was supposed to be a children's film. In my experience, it is a polarising film, loved by many but also hated by other friends of mine. At Derek Jones 198, this is Derek from The Midnight Myth, said, When the credits rolled after my first watch when I was a boy, I was sad because I loved the film so much I didn't want it to end. I still feel the same today. This is one I can't wait to share with my unborn child someday. Stop those rhymes. I mean it. Anyone want a peanut? (laughs) I'm terrible with these. I'm terrible with uh, impressions, by the way, but people are putting these quotes in, and I have to do it. I have to try. I'm sorry. Um, At Matt's Movie Review said I remember studying the movie poster as a kid outside my local flea pit It just didn't appeal to me However, as an adult, I totally got the comedy and homages Perfect casting Who else could pull off Flynn like Wesley with a twinkle in his eye? Dalton? I don't know I don't know I I can't see Dalton as Wesley at all Maybe I don't know Maybe I don't know, Uh, at Epic Film Guys, said, It's fine. I enjoyed it quite a bit, especially Andre the Giant, but never watch this film for the first time with a super fan of it. They will ruin it for you. Moving over to Instagram, because we're not finished yet, by the way, at Mimi Mellon said, I went to boarding school and at the weekend we were allowed a video as a treat. Us boarders used to pull together our pocket money for a visit to the video rental shop and this was our choice again and again. I'm just waiting for my daughters to be old enough to watch it with me. At Movies at the Mat said Seeing Rob and Carl Reiner recreate the final scene of the movie shortly before Carl's death somehow adds to the magic and beauty of this film. I will love it for the rest of my life. At TPFOSpod said There are few perfect movies in this world and this is hands down one of them. It's funny, sweet and simply magical. Not many films are as timeless as The Princess Bride and I'm eager for the day when my infant son is older and can experience this story with me. And finally, on Facebook, Eric said, "...a purely wonderful film and a classic 80s staple that perfectly balances satirising and celebrating the fantasy genre and the art of storytelling." It has everything you could possibly want, perfect cast, story, swashbuckling action, heartfelt romance, side-splitting comedy, endlessly quotable lines, dramatic thrills and even a lovely soundtrack. It's nigh impossible that a film like this could be made again. I feel so lucky that we have it. To paraphrase Kerry Elwes, there's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It'd be a pity to damage this one. Can't wait to watch it again this weekend. On a humorous side note, I used to think Wallace Shawn's film, My Dinner with Andre, was about him having dinner with and talking to Andre the Giant, but now I know it's completely different. A great film on its own, though. Thank you, Siskel and Ebert. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like there's so much that I can go into on The Princess Bride. There's so many stories and tales of how this movie was made and how it was put together, and the fact that William Goldman came on set... And (laughs) in the scene, in the fire swamp, shouted that Robin Wright's dress had caught fire in the middle of a take, and Robin Wright's dress was supposed to catch fire, so they had to redo that take. And it's very clear that this film is so beloved by... Well, I can't say by everyone, because clearly there are people who don't like it. And I kind of feel like, well, okay, that's fair, um, because, as I said, art is subjective, and you can't like everything, but... um, The Princess Bride is ultimately, it's everything. It's literally every single genre apart from horror. Uh, Although, technically, the R.O.U.S.s are quite horrific. And it is quite scary at some points. But essentially, it's a story about true love. It's the true love between Wesley and Buttercup, sure. And their love is among some of the greatest and sweetest love ever put to film. But it's about more than that. It's about the love between a grandfather and his grandson. In the late 80s, surrounded by snacks, video games, and inexplicably set at Christmas. So, technically, this is also a Christmas movie, by the way. This grandpa wants to share some of the magic of his youth and the memories of his childhood of being read to. And that's what this movie is about the magic of childhood, to relive those fleeting moments when we had no worries. When our parents used to read us stories which we read to our children. And we do the different voices and we ramp up the drama and tension to form the imagination of the next generation so they can read the stories to their children. That's why it's timeless. Not just because it's a perfectly formed, performed and told perfect story with action, comedy, romance and a bit of mild violence. But because we live forever in the stories we tell. And our stories will live on through the next generation and this is why the grandfather and the grandson are never named because they could be anyone we are simultaneously the grandfather and the grandson at one point in our lives and really that's the truest true love or true love (laughs) thank you for listening as always i would love to hear your thoughts on the princess bride If you do like this episode or any episode that I've put out in the past, I would love it if you could take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts. Um, And thank you so much to everyone who has given me some wonderful reviews and some brilliant five star ratings. Um, It is literally the best way to show that you love what any podcast does. It also gives me a massive boost, to be honest. And it literally takes two minutes of your time. The other thing you could do is tell your friends about this podcast and Maybe get them to download some episodes and watch some movies. That would be wicked. As I have uh, now 60 episodes of this podcast, uh, I would love to be able to list them all at the end of episodes and say, well, these are all the episodes that I've done. If you want to see all of the episodes, have a look in your podcast player and you will see all of the episodes. But what I'm trying to do is, if you do like The Princess Bride uh, and you like this episode on The Princess Bride, you might also like the following episodes, Um, so I would recommend you check out episode 10, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, obviously for more swashbuckling pirate-based fun, and the wonderful Bob Anderson choreographed sword fight, but also because, very much like The Princess Bride, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, is lightning in a bottle, and I do remember calling it lightning in a bottle at the time, Uh, Because, again, they have not managed to recreate the joy of that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And they never will. Um, Episode 16, Willow. Because Willow is obviously uh, another fantasy movie. It's another 80s fantasy movie as well. And it's the closest kind of fantasy episode to this. Um, And I love Willow. It's so wonderful. Um, And it's got some groundbreaking effects in it as well. So please check out the movie Willow and check out the episode Willow too. Uh, Number 25, Stardust, uh, as I mentioned, it's a very modern take on this classic fairy tale and at the time it was marketed as the next Princess Bride, which it isn't, um, but it is still a lovely movie and still very, very underappreciated. Episode 37, I mentioned, Clueless, just for Wallace Shawn because Wallace Shawn is great and... He does not need to be worried about his performance in this movie because he is spot-on perfect. Um, And finally, episode 44, A Knight's Tale, because it has some swords in it and it also has the late, great Heath Ledger. And I'm always going to (laughs) recommend Heath Ledger. Uh, Heath Ledger is like my number two uh, after Keanu. So, um, obviously give me feedback on these recommendations. Do you think that I missed any? Would you have recommended something different? Let me know. I guess with doing The Princess Bride, I could quite easily retire this podcast on 60 episodes and say, well, it's never going to get any better than this, I might as well just give up now. I'm not going to though, Uh, because every movie I feature is perfect and special in its own way, and episode 61 is no different. In fact, it's a little bit of a forgotten gem. And also, This movie is on Disney Plus in the UK, by the way. So the next episode is a movie that I actually first teased all the way back in the episode that I did on Sky Captain and The World of Tomorrow, that is episode five. It has roots firmly in that same pulp aesthetic. Uh, It harkens to brighter and happier days of the 1930s and it is the delightful period superhero movie, The Rocketeer. Uh, as I said, it's available on Disney+, Plus, so you have no excuse not to watch it. I've been meaning to re-watch it for some time, and I've been actually been saving it for this episode. Um, and I can't wait to revisit The Rocketeer, and I can't wait to talk about The Rocketeer on the next episode, because I love The Rocketeer. You can find any of my other 59 episodes in your podcast app, If you want to follow me, uh, I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also on Letterboxd, uh, where I post all of the movies that I've been watching recently. I am so grateful that you are listening to me right now. But if you do wish to support the show on Patreon, that would be wonderful. Uh, I would be additionally grateful to you. Um, but you are under no obligation to do so. I have some wonderful patrons who support the show financially and they help me pay for things like hosting and new equipment and stuff. Um, And to say thank you to them, they get access to the upcoming schedule, they get shout outs, uh, they get early release episodes and all sorts of lovely stuff. So a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast, to Simon E, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, and Griff, they are the Brute Squad. But they're not really the Brute Squad. And Verbal Diorama now has merchandise, woo! Uh, so you can check out my merch store at teespring.com store slash Verbal Diorama. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and tote bags. Um, and for the month of September, 2020 only, uh, you can get 15% of all items with promo code VD15OFF. So that's VD150FF. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com, or you can fill out the form at verbaldiorama.com. Pop over to filmstories.co.uk. It's a site that I write for, so I write for the magazine and I write for the website. They're currently running a Kickstarter to try and help fund the magazines going forward. So if you can afford to, please help out. And if you can't support them financially, just Click some ads and stuff in the website. It all helps. And finally.
1: The end. Now I think you ought to go to sleep. Okay. Right. Okay. 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 All right. Shalom. So Grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. As you wish.
2: Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. (laughs) I actually waved. (laughs) I actually waved doing that.